everyone. This is Rob School of Music Interviews. Today we are featuring incredible rock star authors of this incredible book, Tom Bojor, Richard Beanstock. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. 100%. I, let me tell you, like, when I first found out about this book, which I just think is so freaking cool, um, I was like, how deep is this going to go? And you guys get so much information and just the, the story is jumping from person to person to person. I have so many questions. Um, so thank you so much for being here. So we're just meeting each other. My name is Rob. Um, I have a music school in Suffern, New York, and we teach virtually around the country. And once the pandemic hit, we moved everything <laughs> online, just flying by the seat of our pants. And we're lucky to be able to do over 7,000 virtual lessons prior to reopening um, in person back in June. And over the course of that period, I started doing these interviews and, you know, I just feel so lucky to be able to talk to you guys because I'm an avid reader and like something that took my mind off the chaos of what's been going on in the world was a book like this one. So thank you. Awesome. All hey, right. Can I ask you one quick question before we start? Yes. Because I'm a gear freak. Is that a divided by 13 head that I see in the right there? It is. And I bought it from Richard Fortas after I interviewed him on this very show. <laughs> wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Asked and answered. Wow, that's yeah, and cool. it is absolutely killer. I, I have an addiction to gear and it's it's horrible, but I justify it because I say, well, I'm a musician and I'm a music teacher. So music comes in both those worlds. So I just tell my girlfriend it's part of my job. They're write-offs. Exactly. It's all <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all tax write-off. Yeah. So I mean, you guys, you know, between the, the Revolver magazine and, and Billboard and Spin and Guitar World, there's such a rich history of contributing to the lexicon of cool music stuff how did you guys get started um you know writing and that kind of stuff well um you know for me i i mean i started my career at guitar world um as tom did but i started a few years after him i actually came in as an intern in the late 90s which is when i met tom um you know i mean without going through everything that's kind of where it started and then spending a lot of years there just as an editor and writer in different capacities and then from there branching out to do you know writing for other places and and books and things like that and and just you know striking up a real relationship with tom right from the beginning um over the mostly over the music in that's in this book you know it's just something we both grew up with and we both have a deep passion for and like talking over the years about doing a book like this and then, you know, and this is going back over a decade and then finally, you know, deciding to dive in and get it done. And, and here we are. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I love the way the book is formatted, just a compilation of all these different quotes from different people and in interviews. How did you guys, how long did it take to pull together so many different incredible musicians? It was from the very start, to when we kind of wrapped it about three and a half, almost four years. Wow. Like the very first interview, there was about a year before we even had a book deal. So the, the, the um, you know, there was a year of putting together something where we could convince a, a, a publisher that this was a good idea. Um, and yeah, it took a long time because, you know, we, we interviewed over like 200 people. Um, we obviously both have other jobs. This wasn't a full-time, you know, job. And and some people took a, a really long time to track down. I think I have a, like, 
18 months worth of emails with like with Sebastian box management or something, you know, and, and we, we understood, you know, we're asking people to give us their time. We're not there. We're not remunerating them and people more or less want to talk about this stuff as the book got closer to being done and the word was out that we were real fans of this stuff and like knew what we were talking about. It got easier because, you know, as you can see from all these bands touring together, these people all know each other. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot of good referrals and, you know, Jeff Labar, RIP, told Fred Corey, this guy's cool. And then, you know, and in Cinderella. And so it starts to roll like that. Um, and also it's easier once you can say that you've got a book deal with St. Martin's Press and then people are like, okay, this, this is actually worth my time. But it was a lot of interviews, a lot of transcribing interviews. And um, yeah, for top to bottom, four years. That's awesome. That's that's the, the dedication to telling the story. I mean, it's clear. How do you so when you're interviewing these various musicians, is there a narrative that you're trying to put together? Or are you literally like, OK, well, Sebastian Bach talked about something and then the guys in Rad talked about something. OK, that's the same story and it connects. How do you do that? I think it's a little bit of both. Like we both we went into it knowing certain points we had to hit on and also the, the story that we wanted to tell just from again like our love of it and being like okay well what do people know about this what do they not know about it what do they understand about it what should they understand about it um but beyond that you know you just it's sometimes it's just a matter of like one person says one thing and it could just be the slightest sort of offhand comment but you're like that's interesting and then you talk to five other people about that and all of a sudden you have this incredible story that you not only didn't think was gonna be a part of the book, like you never knew it existed. I mean, a good example, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the recording of Dawkins' Tooth and Nail. A uh, great chapter in the book. It was actually one of the sample chapters we used to, to sell the book to a publisher. Um, you know, needless to say, we did not go into this book you know, mapping out like, okay, we've talked about the Sunset Strip and, you know, Moscow Peace Festival and X, Y, and Z. And oh yeah, and we really have to hone in on the recording of Tooth and Nail. Like that is not something that we ever considered, but, you know, I think Tom had interviewed um, Tom Werman, the producer, about everything he's worked on, which was basically like every big 80s record, more or less. And he had one offhand comment about doing that record and something, some hijinks in the studio. That was really bizarre. And so from there, it's like, well, you talk to George Lynch and you talk to Wild McBrown and you talk to Don Dockett and all of a sudden you have this crazy story unfold that becomes its own chapter in the book. So, so yeah, to answer your question, I mean, we, we kind of had a rough idea of what the arc was going to be, but we also let, we weren't afraid to let whatever the people were telling us lead us to you know places we never expected to go. See, that's why I thought it was extra cool. I mean, I, 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 I am a 80s rock guy. I, I grew up too young to experience it in the heyday. But when I was in high school, Behind the Music was on TV and it was feeding me all these amazing bands. And that's when I was coming up as a guitarist. I was like, holy crap, like, like I'm in an age of corn and Limp Bizkit, which is cool in its own thing. But I'm like, whoa, solos and, and showmanship and just rock stars. And I loved how there's so many things in there. I'm like, oh, my God, like it's so deep and you get so to such specific things and it makes you feel like you're there and living it and a part of it. And that's just incredible. What I mean, what's up? No, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> no, 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 Please, you please go ahead. Please. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, what, 
were there particular bands or a show or something each of you guys experienced growing up where you're like, oh man, music. Like I want music to be a huge part of my life professionally. I mean, both of us were aspiring musicians. Both, both Rich and I, I was um, in a band in my twenties that, you know, had a small indie. We were on the same label as like, uh, that punk band, the Luna Chicks, and and a couple of other bands, this label called Go Kart. So you know, and I was trying, and we were trying to make it, and we had a manager, and and um, Rich was in you know some bands that could like pack Irving Plaza in New York City, and like so we were both guys who grew up um, wanting to 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 be these guys in a lot of ways. Me probably more than Rich because I was I'm older, so like for me. Um, I had already been into music, but there was something about, um, and I was already into Cheap Trick, and I knew a lot about, and into punk rock and hardcore, but there was something about when Poison's Talk Dirty to Me video came out. And like, I loved the song, because it sounded like a Cheap Trick song. Um, and the first 10 seconds where CC DeVille is sitting there, and there's a semi-truck behind him, and you know, we learned in the book that at this point the band was broke probably half of those weren't his guitars but you see right behind him a semi with like bc riches and jackson's all the way down the semi like on stands and then he's jumping around and he's throwing them in the video and they're having so much fun and like that went into my brain like like luke's missiles in star wars like when they go into the death star exhausting it was just like shoo! and like i was like that that is what I want, like to be that psyched and having that much fun on stage and playing not metal really, but like more like really awesome power pop with guitar solos. Mm -hmm. um, that really marked me. I mean, I don't know if I really wanted to be, I was also into a lot of indie rock and stuff, but I know that that was like this m moment, like this aspirational moment where I was like this, like where I was hooked. Like I'm like, that is my trajectory. Um, and, uh, you know, that didn't exactly work out, but so it goes. But like, so it really did, th this music and the guitar players in particular of this music, like Vito Brada, uh, Warren G. Martini, like uh, guys people have never even heard of, like Derek Frigo from Enough is Enough. Like the guitar playing in this music to me was what just completely captured my imagination and my mind. That's awesome. That's awesome. Rich, what was it for you? Uh, well, like Tom said, I mean, I started out, I, I, I believed in, in my deepest heart of hearts that I was going to be a rock star one of these days um, and played, played in bands around New York. Um, you know, I probably played in bands that leaned a little bit more toward the type of thing that's in the book, uh, which I don't know is necessarily a good thing because this is like early 2000s New York. Uh, you know, where it's like strokes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs and all that stuff. And yeah. I'm, I'm in like, you know, stacked heels with a feather boa and like eyeliner on. Um, so Dude, needless to me. say, I get yeah, that. well, <laughs> that, that's why I like, that's why we're sitting here, you know? Um, so it wasn't the time for it, but, but, you know, but I've played in bands, like we've, we've played with like, you know, Twisted Sister and with Brett Michaels and all that kind of stuff. So like, you know, more in that world, um, you know, and just the music thing. I mean, I, I've kind of became a writer by default. I think it was more just like, well, 
if I'm going to write about music, it's okay, but I'm not going to write about, you know, cooking or something else like that. Um, so, and as far as getting into this music, just like Tom with, with Talk Dirty to Me, for me, it was the Motley Crue Looks the Kill video. And like, I was, you know, I was seven at the time, but I was still, I had an older brother. So I was already like really into music and kind of, you know, had MTV and knew what was going on and all that. But seeing that video and seeing those guys, like, you know, it was like watching superheroes. It was like they weren't of this, they were not of this earth. And like the riffs were great and the solos and the guitars looked awesome. And like from then on in, from that moment on, like I was like all in, you know, and it was just, it was Motley Crue. And then it was every other band in that world. And like, and that just, you know, just built and built and built. And then I started playing guitar and just got into all the shredders like Tom and like, and, you know, it just became, it wasn't, it wasn't even like an interest. It was just like, it was just a way of life, you know, it was like, it was just all I did, um, you know? And so here we are. Now I get it, man. It, it all leads somewhere. It's funny with the, the early two thousands, that's when I was coming up with my bands and we would do gigs in New York city and we didn't fit in one bit, but then we would play up at the chance in Poughkeepsie. We'd open them for striper or zebra mm -hmm. and we were like, boom, now we're where we belong, you know? Yeah. And it was well past the, the, the prime of this type of music, but it, it, it's, I like in the book, like even though some of the stories go to, you know, the, the real darker places of Odal, the debauchery of it, it's still, this was happy. It was a happy time. It was happy music. And this reading this book, it made me feel, especially during, you know, when the world is kind of upside down now, like made me feel happy. Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that was a desired intention, but these stories, you know, coming from these guys and just, just as a musician, understanding like the ride and, and what it was like to, to, you know, go cut, a, a record in in europe and then somehow someone found it in the import bin and then you're getting signed here like it was an existence as a musician that i don't know if a lot of up-and-coming kids are, are going through in the same way with streaming and just you know you throw something on soundcloud and all of a sudden you're famous for a second <laughs> right i i mean one thing is look the bands that are in our, are in our book right are the ones who who won the right the, there, there are a lot of bands probably who didn't get the ride. I, that's one of the reasons I really loved, um, and it was so good talk. You know, I had, it, it was a really long interview with him, but like I think Steve Brown from Trickster's perspective on the ride is so good. You know, this band that got signed late, so they really in the in the sort of in the era, um, and so they didn't really have. He's your neighbor, by the way, I think, pretty much. Um, but uh, they didn't have the time to have a second or third record. But here was a guy who was so totally, and he's exactly my age. So talking to him and being that he was 18 and getting signed to, you know, to Mercury and, and having the ride, like he, and he, and the cool thing about Steve Brown is that he knew he was having the ride while he was having the ride. So he's like, here I am, I'm making a, I, I got signed, I'm 18, I'm making a record, I'm on tour with Warren. Like, I think he had this awareness because he was such a fan of the music that he was experiencing, like that he had had the brass ring, that he was living the dream that we all had and like interviewing him like that. I'm actually getting tingles right now. Cause like that is exactly when I was 19 or 18, what I wanted. And to actually have this, know this guy and interview this guy who lived it, you know? And then we made our second record and we had had a gold record. So we renegotiated it and we spent $350,000. Like that's what we all wanted, right? It's like, I would like to spend 
as much time as I want, as much money as I want making a record one day. Um, so there is a real thrill. And even with the other bands, yeah, there's this level, uh, the stakes are really high, you know? And I, that, that's what I really, as a guy who records records now too, and I have a studio and all that stuff, the pressure and the stakes of, of like, when Rat was making their second record, or, you know, and these are kids, they're like 25, 26 years old. Like the record they're making, like the whole fourth quarter of Atlantic Records could be like hinged on it. Like this was real, like when you succeeded in this world, like you were really like making it, like you were selling millions of records. And yeah, and that's a kind of, I think a joyful thing. And, but like, it really was a completely different universe. Like the scale that this was operating on. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's why, again, this is such a cool, like this is a reference almost like this is something where people can use this to cite. This is how it was, you know, these are the mistakes not to make. These are the things to look for. And, and then just a, a bygone error of, of just rock and roll, you know, full on full blown rock star stuff. Now, when I was looking through all of it, I, I read it while I was at the beach. And uh, I'm Excellent. yeah, it was a great, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a great beach read. And again, it just cleared my mind. I actually had my first copy. Someone stole my beach bag and they stole my book. And I was so freaking bummed. Then I was like, you know what? Like that asshole, at least they got a cool book. I hope they take that part of it. Ditch my, right. this is my towel. I'll take the book. You know, when, when I do these interviews, I always try and whoever winds up watching it, my students or just, you know, the audience that you guys are going to bring in, I, I want to give them as much value as possible. So from the purely business side of things as, as writers, and again, having, you know, with guitar world and revolver and, and just amazing, amazing, you know, again, pinnacle magazines that, you know, where you want your information, that's where you're going to go. I guess websites now, I keep saying magazines because that's where my brain lives. Um, how do you, get into that world how do you you know like if you're looking for a story like where do, where do you guys find the information is it all on spec is it are you pointed in a direction is that something we could talk about yeah i think um you know it's at, i think and i'll just speak for myself and maybe tom feels the same way it's a little hard for us to sort of or a little hard for me to say you know very specifically because we also came up in a in a different time like we you know i interned at the magazine at guitar world i think tom did initially too i don't remember um you know and you just kind of worked your way up i but you know as far as the way it works at least for me now like a lot of it is getting assignments and getting pitches that you then turn into your own pitches you know it's a it's a constant if you want to do this um, and especially if you want to like survive doing this, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a 24 seven thing, you know, it's not, you don't have hours obviously where you clock in and out and like, you're constantly sort of toggling in this world where like you're writing something, but then you're also working on a larger book project on the side. And then you're also pitching this place and like, you kind of just have everything going at the same time. I mean, you're running your own business essentially, and you have to just, you know, I, it, I'm okay doing that because I also love this stuff. Um, but if I was again, like just writing, you know, about like, I don't know, any, anything, like if it was like business stuff or whatever the case may be, like, to me, that's not interesting. So I don't know if I could con keep that constant churn mm -hmm. going, but I think to succeed in this world, whether it's music or writing about anything, it has to be something that you're willing to, to get into that constant churn. 
um, and that you you're passionate enough about it that you can write the story at two in the morning if that's what needs to happen and like you know and and just keep going and keep going and you know and like and not really worry about the hours you're putting in or not having a weekend or this or that and just kind of do it because you love it cool very cool yeah i mean i'm here i'm gonna lift this computer for a second because it's I, there for a visual do i have it here no i don't have it here i recently ordered on ebay a uh copy of a 1996 I, I was the managing editor of guitar world then uh interview i did with metallica it was the cover story of guitar world like right when they cut their hair to do Lollapalooza, and i got the magazine in the mail and i opened it and i was like freaked out because it was so heavy <laughs> um because Guitar World at the time had four tablatures in it, like oh, yeah. remember that you know it it was 190 pages. I think we were selling something like 250 thousand copies a month. Like it was so, like Rich, I came into this sort of at a much different time where a magazine was um, something really necessary. Um, I think that the thing that has to happen today, we were actually, Rich and I were just talking about this before we did this podcast, is for journalists today, for better or for worse, like writing is not like you're going to, it. it's very, 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 very difficult to make a living just writing about stuff. And, you know, Rich is like one of the best guitar writers there is. So like he's, he, he, he can do it. Um, I think that it's really important in this day and age on some level to, you've got to create for, again, for better or for worse, some sort of like cross platform brand. Like you probably have to be somewhat of a personality and also have, you know, be supplementing your thing with like a video component and this and that, and like creating a, a you're probably doing it yourself for your school. You know, like you're creating a, a whole environment around what you do. Exactly. Um, and, you know, so you're giving people, you know, and so like, I think that in order to become, to like do what we started doing now, you would probably have to create some sort of brand where you were also doing gear reviews and like, and you see these things take off, especially like in um, the guitar realm, since we're doing a music school, I feel okay. But you know, like, like, I don't know if you've ever watched JHS pedal stuff like, oh, yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, 200,000 people watch that. You yeah, know? Josh's and, personality. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's it's a very difficult time because the artist has the, when we were doing magazines when we started, the artist needed the magazine to communicate to his fans, his or her fans. You needed the press to say what you, to tell your story. And now the artist can tell the story directly to their fans. So therefore a really important sort of utility of what a magazine or what the press was has been removed. So it, it is a very, um, is a very strange time, but I mean, you just have to, you just have to work at it and you have to be really good and really careful and you'd be amazed if you turn in clean copy and don't make mistakes and get stuff in on time and don't end up annoying artists so that then their people call your people and they're like, you really can get ahead because competence is much less uh, 
widespread than you would believe. But like being really confident and a good hang is an amazingly, you've already got the edge. And people are always like, yeah, but what else? I'm like, that is the real secret. Be nice to people and can't do good work. And you will suddenly find yourself getting calls to, to do work. I love that you just said that because I think that's the secret to life. You know, mm -hmm. over the course of this this series, Steve Vai, you know, uh, Richard Fortas, to every person I've talked to, one of the big questions is how do you get these opportunities? Like I, I'm endorsed by PRS Guitars. I've had, you know, little blips of coolness, but nothing at that scale, right? And the same thing everyone says is the hang. You got to be cool. You got to do good work. And, and that that's what's going to open those doors. So that's so validating to hear guys that produce something so awesome who were, I mean, I, I, my first guitar world magazine was uh, December, 1996. It had Marilyn Manson on the cover. I just started playing guitar and I bought it cause the cover looked cool. And then I bought every issue and subscribed until like mid two thousands. And, and it, it's having these resources, but to know that the people who are putting out that content were coming from such a, you know, just, just be cool. Was that the one where like Manson and Twiggy were like tied together with like rubber? Yeah, I can grab it. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I worked on that. I'm probably the managing editor on that one. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, thank you. You changed my <laughs> life. So thank you. Yeah, I was definitely working there. That was, I think I was the, either the managing or the associate editor. That's I mean, cool. and again, that was like, that was the secret of getting that, like when you got a job there. Brad Talinsky never looked at either of our college, like, you know, like transcripts. Yeah. Transcripts. He just would hire. And when I started as an intern, probably same thing for Rich. The first thing that I had to do, we might be getting off topic here, but whatever. Um, it's all good. This is a time when writers would fax in their stories. I don't even know if your students know what a fax. You would, it was like email, except it printed out. And I had to, my first job was typing back in these stories the faxes you know and just the fact that i would actually was actually willing to do that and that they i would then give it to them on a floppy disk and that there weren't lots of mistakes in it that's how i got the gig and like but brad talinsky who i'm sure you've read a hundred of his editors letters or more that was the thing he liked people who created a good environment and he was adamant about that and people who didn't last there actually it usually wasn't like a as much of a performance issue as the fact that they were not that the atmosphere at work was poor like that they were like it was a bummer that they were a bummer oh, um wow. but it was a wonderful place i gotta say guitar world in the 90s and 2000s was a wonderful place to 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 work Dude, it was yeah, like so the Bible. Whenever it came in the mailbox, <laughs> like that was just like, don't talk to me for a day because I'm going to just read this thing cover to cover and dream of all the gear. And just like, it was such a cool way to get turned on to, you know, similarly to this, there was bands in here I was unaware of. And I was like, oh, they sound cool. Let me look them up. Same thing with the magazine like that. And I feel like now with social media and everything, when the artists are in charge of themselves, you're missing that opportunity to just have a bulk piece of content where you can learn new things because it's just what's on the next story, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, again, it's like, it's, I don't know, people probably want a different thing nowadays, too. And probably even, you know, to go back to your original question about, well, how would you do this job and be in this world now if you were coming up and you want to, you know, and we're talking about it from the perspective of like, what would make you a good writer? What would make you 
present as a good writer to editors, but I don't even know that people coming up today would just be thinking solely of writing. They probably are, like Tom was mentioning, how you have to have this 360 view and video and all, like, that's probably not even something that they need to be told. You know, I don't know that anyone would come up and just think I am going to write for a magazine or even just a website, you know, like they, they're coming at it probably from this kind of multimedia perspective to begin with, um, you know, and, and so, and which is a good thing because I don't know how easy or how possible it really is to even just be a writer nowadays, especially if you're just starting out as that. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And and it's exciting to be able to digest things in these different ways where you can listen to it, you can read it, you can watch it. Um, I would like to take the last couple of minutes here. And again, thank you guys so much for your time. This has been like, I was so happy that this all worked out. And and again, Rich, thank you for posting in Guitar World a couple of my interviews. That was a freaking dream come true. So thank you for that. I'm going to ask you guys, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, so tell me if this is a bad idea, but I usually end these with a rapid-fire series of gear questions, which I know has nothing to do with your book, but just it's musical kind of stuff. So it's like a this or that. Is that okay? Yes, do it. All right, so I'm going to ask, you know, this thing or that thing. You don't have to justify your answer, but you can if you'd like to. That makes it more fun, and try your very best, though it's sometimes impossible to say both. You can say neither, but try not to say both. All right? Here we go. Okay. And you can just yell them out if you like. Actually, please direct it so we don't, because if not, like, say, Rich, because if not, I'm going to, we'll just step all over each other. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Rich cool. first, humbucker mm -hmm. or single coil? Humbucker. Tom? Single coil at the moment. Okay. Dude, I'm on a single coil kick too. So, I get it. But, like, for my entire life, it would have been humbucker. I would actually amend it and say, because when I'm, when I'm at home playing by myself, it's always single coil, but if I go out and play, it's always humbucker. Okay, cool. See, that that makes all right, awesome. All right. Rich, Les Paul, Strat, or PRS style guitar. Um SG. Okay. Can I say that? Right. You can. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> all right. Okay. Tom. Les Paul. All right. If you had to pick a Fender style guitar, Rich, would it be a Strat or a Telecaster? Um at the moment, probably Telly. Okay. And Tom? Telecaster all the way. Cool. Cool. I just found, I had in the uh, like 2002, three, four, they did these limited runs of like this Silver Sparkle um, USA Telecaster. And I just was able to refine one on Reverb. And nice. all my students were like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, yes, that's the point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Rich, uh, would you prefer a guitar with a tremolo or a non-trem? Um, geez, again at the moment probably trem. Tre I, I would I would say again when I'm home I like to play with a trem, and when I am out I just I don't need it. Like just give me a hard tail and keep it in tune. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Tom, uh, I play in a comedy black metal band called Witch Taint. Um, <laughs> And in that, uh, I'm all Floyd all day. But it's got to be a Floyd. If you're going to have a trim, just lo locking trim. Yeah. Life is too short to not have a locking trim. <laughs> I like that. All right. All right. All right. We'll, we'll switch our order now. Now, Tom, 24 frets or 22? 22 because I don't like where the 24th fret makes your neck pickup be. I think it makes it not round sounding enough. Rich, 22. It's unnecessary. 
Yeah. And the, the humbucker, like I have a custom 24 somewhere over here and it just the, the neck is just the wrong place. Everything's uh-huh. wrong. Yeah. All right. Tom, thin, medium or thick guitar picks? Oh, I'm currently uh, on <clears throat> thick. I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth between uh, Dunlop green and Dunlop blue. So that's like one and 1.13. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm really into the, 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 the three ones, the pointy ones right now. I like the jazz. Uh... Like it's the full size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one over here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Rich? Um, I, I, I'm a Dunlop green man as well, so I don't even know. That's, that's like thick-ish, right? But yeah. not too thick, yeah. yeah. It's point, I just looked, 0.88. I'm a 0.88 man all the way. I'm in love with these ones recently. The uh, I love those. I yeah. love those. Yeah, yeah. 0.90. Altex. Yeah. It doesn't slip out of my fingers. I sweat battery acid, so it yeah. stays in my head. <laughs> um, all right. Let's. I'll just start jumping around because there's a ton of these. Right. I don't want to keep you guys too long. Uh, your fretboard. Tom, you want rosewood or maple? Mm. I am still debating that. My current feeling is that I like both, but it's a long answer, but it's because I've really been thinking about it a lot. I think that maple is the uh, ecologically responsible thing to do now because you have no idea where that rosewood is coming from. And having some substitute like Pau Ferro just depresses me. So moving forward, <laughs> maple whenever possible. And if, if it's a rosewood or ebony board guitar, I'm going to buy it used. Cool. Cool. I like that. I like that answer very much, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is not as elevated an answer, I guess, as Tom's. But I mean, I, I spent my whole life playing rosewood. So lately, I have been playing maple on my Strat and just enjoying that more just for the change. But I don't know. I don't know if I prefer it overall. No wrong answers. These are completely absurd questions. Don't worry. These are um, no. This is what I spend most of my time thinking about. <laughs> this and White Lion is like yeah. This and White Lion, like Vito Brada brain, and yeah. Picks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for your tubes, you like six L sixes or EL thirty four? Tom first. Depends on the application. When I'm playing in Witch Taint, I have a fifty. I have a, a EVH head with six L sixes because I think they're tighter on the. Uh, I like EL 34s. I think the sleeper tube, which is in my 71 Super Lead, is the 6550. Oh, mm. I said that. Because it's, Ameri- it's one of those, uh, like, there's a run of 71 Super Leads, that, like the American ones at 6550s, and I like that. Okay. All right. Well, that's on my list of things to look up now. Thank you for giving me something new to, obs- to obsess me about. Rabbit them. hole. Here you go. Here's yeah. a, here, here you go. Rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I guess I would, if I had to choose, I'd probably say EL34s, but I also don't, in all honesty, I don't care that much. Like, just plug in and turn it up. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't pay that much attention at that level. Okay. All right. So I got four uh, pedal related questions and then a couple bands. Thank you again for humoring me in this crazy, crazy series of horrible questions. It's about to get harder. Rich, if you could only pick one, delay or reverb? Reverb. Tom? Just... On oh, no. one or the other? Only one. Reverb. Okay. 
What about fuzz or overdrive? Like a fuzz face or like a tube screamer? I mean, if I could only have one, I guess an overdrive, but fuzz is certainly more fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Overdrive. Yeah, totally. All right. Phaser or chorus? Oh. Phaser. Okay. Phaser. Uh Like, do you want to be playing Atomic Punk more for the rest of your life, or She Sells Sanctuary? I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably go with a chorus reluctantly. Of all these questions, that is the most polarizing one for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> like, literally, like, defiant, this, how could you even, versus like, oh, I don't know, my left arm or my right arm. Like, yeah. All right, and then there's a couple band-related questions. The Beatles or the Stones? Tom first. The Stones, <laughs> while acknowledging that the Beatles are the more important and probably superior band. Okay. Um, you said we can't say both, right? That's again. I mean, the answer is both, yeah. obviously. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. it 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 purely depends on the moment. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm so sorry, guys. We were going to talk about your book, and now I'm making an answer. <laughs> no, that's book. a good. So long as you keep the book visible, we're fine. Yeah, oh, it's right here. No, and you <laughs> know what? I had a background where the, the graphic was in the background, but it, it wasn't saving as a PNG, so it wasn't the overlay and like the video mm. was happening. But it's here. If here, you ever get that gonna... working, send it to us, and we'll start using yeah. it as well. Because that's oh yeah, cool. no, it, it usually works, but Streamyard updated again, and they they just changed all the stuff. So, but I'll, the link will be in everything. Everyone watching this, link it up. Uh, the Amazon all your local bookstores support uh books and, and buy hard copies and smell them and read them and let people steal them at the beach and then buy a second copy yes that's the, right. buying the second copy is highly encouraged oh yes. that wasn't even a question uh john or paul who who's first uh tom first john okay mm. i guess i'd say john but i don't know i like paul too okay yeah. two more zeppelin or floyd rich first zeppelin Zeppelin. Okay. I lied. Three more. One more and then one more. Uh, Pearl Jam or Nirvana, Tom? Ooh. That's my only wow. modern question. Um, modern 25 years ago. I, man. I'm going to say, oh, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to tighten this question. I think that I listened to 10 more than Nevermind, but I'm going to say Nirvana because it smells like Team Spirit is still better than like any other. Like it's just the best. It's that song, <laughs> the first time I heard that song, it absolutely is that it broke my head. So Nirvana. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I was 15, 16 ish when all that was happening. And I would say, like, I, I've grown a greater appreciation for, for Pearl Jam over the years, but just thinking back to how monumental, again, like Thomas saying Nirvana felt as a high school kid, like it, it will always be Nirvana. Yeah. I mean, can, I, can I add one other thing? Yeah. Because this is something you didn't have to go through. But, and Rich did though, probably a little less than me, is as a guitar, this is a very guitar thing. So there was a time, like 1992, 1993, where if you were a guitar player who had grown up in the 80s, you suddenly had to completely stop playing that way or you would never get another gig. Mm. 
like if you sounded like an 80s guy and i feel that like in a really cool way like mike mccready's guitar playing allowed some like that he was like really still playing was like a great lifeline for a lot of us and then like pearl jam sort of showed you a way through where you could be like oh i can still actually play guitar and, I th I, and that was much appreciated at that time where i was like what do i do i can't do anything that i learned how to do i use that <laughs> analogy often because a lot of people talk when I'm showing people how to play songs and, and I'm a Pearl Jam guy, but when I show someone how to play smells like teen spirit, they lose their freaking mind every time because yeah. it's just, yeah. it's accessible and it's powerful. And then you kick on the distortion and everything changes. And, but you're totally right. I mean, McCready, what he was doing, there were still leads and there were like yeah. shreddy uh -huh. leads in his own bluesy kind of way. All right. My very last question, gentlemen, Van Halen is Van Halen and we love him and we miss him, but is it Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth? To, to me first? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, we really ahead. need to even go there. Yeah. I mean, do I, Roth was the, my one, my one regret in all of, boy, I have a lot of regrets. Actually, that's a total lot. But <laughs> one regret that I have is that when in 1984, I was 13 and I was like, mom, let me go to see Van Halen. And that I never saw Van Halen with David Lee Roth. Um, I saw David Lee Roth with Vi, which was awesome. But like, that is the one. And I had no, I didn't want to see it on the reunion. It's not the same thing. So I had, um, that is one big, yeah, Roth. That was the greatest band of all time. <laughs> yeah. That's the right answer. That's the only one yeah. that has a wrong answer. Right answer. <laughs> So you guys win. You get the prize. I saw him on that last Kiss run. He sounded fantastic. So mm -hmm. he's, he's on moments. He can still be awesome. Yeah. He's still Dave. Dudes, thank you so much for this. I implore everyone this this book. Everyone needs to check it out. It is on the coffee table at the school. So students have been flipping through it as they're waiting for lessons and being like, Actually, oh, how old kidding. are these students? Uh, <laughs> Did you black no out pages or? Absolutely okay. not. No, they can all, if they're old enough to read, they're old enough to understand rock and roll. All right. Excellent. <laughs> but thank you guys so much. I really, thank really you. appreciate this and, and all you've done for music and, 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 and this I appreciate also. So <laughs> thank you and stay safe. And I wish you the best of luck and, uh, awesome. Enjoy. Yeah. The thanks hey, for wait, having can us. I, hey, can I ask you a weird question? Please. Do you have like a complete collection of those? I do. You might have the only real existing archive at this point then because like of the number of times the magazine got sold. Really? Yeah. We might have to call on you. We might have to call on you. Yeah. I have this I issue. I have this issue through uh, the end of 2006, everyone. Nice. You might it's actually, known. we might like, um, we're, we're cooking something up. So we might actually hit you for some research. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you know where to find me. All cool, right. Man. Thank you so much. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much. Seriously. Thank you, Rob. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.